I'll keep your place here in the book of Amos as we continue our Lenten series in the book of Amos. This past week uh, was really a joy, uh, even uh, last week, uh, I appreciate that you sang happy birthday to me. Uh, The staff that did that, they're gone, say goodbye to them, they're done. (laughs) We love them. But what was really exciting uh, on my birthday is I was able to, um, Denise and I were able to babysit our granddaughter Haley, and she was with us last week. And I was so excited, I have a lot of hope in the next generation. As soon as the organ began to play, the organ, okay, the organ, my little granddaughter, she's sitting in the back over here, she raised her hands. And fortunately, she didn't notice that nobody else was raising their hands, and she just kept them up the whole time. So I have a Pentecostal, charismatic granddaughter already. That's exciting. Well, Amos 4, it's not the easiest passage to hear. When the prophet calls out the cows of Bashan, you know it's not going to go too well. And of course, he calls them out because they are oppressing the poor, right? So apparently you have wealthy women and their husbands are being told to bring me drink, but they are doing all of this, living in luxury at the expense of the poor among God's people. And God hasn't, isn't going to have any of that. He's going to rain judgment down on God's people. And I always get nervous every time I preach a passage that deals with money or is is a screed against wealthy people for fear that you will come up with the wrong interpretation of what I'm trying to say. So I'm going to have to have three disclaimers and then a three minute sermon so you don't get confused. Number one, this text is not about your giving to Stonehill Church. So get that out of your mind. This isn't some way for us, the pastors, to gen up more offering. The reality is you have been very generous as a congregation. The last three years, we've had a surplus. The last two years, we've exceeded our budgeted income and spent less. Last year, not only did you, you give generously uh, the, the over $2 million for our budgeted income, you also brought, we brought in another $2 million to pay off the debt. This has nothing to do with the offering. Relax. Chill out. Okay? Secondly, the other thing I always get nervous when you're talking about the nation Israel and you're talking about the the wealthy are oppressing the poor is that you think that this is some thinly uh, sort of disguised screed or, 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 or sort of support for some kind of public policy or tax policy that I'm defending the Biden administration or maybe I'm criticizing the Biden administration. That is nothing. We're not trying to do any of that. Relax. It's not this big macro thing we're talking about. It's not political. I know we're in a divided political world out there in the United States. It's unbelievable how divisive that is. We're not talking about politics per se. Relax. Thirdly, I'm not preaching this sermon because I feel like you all 
are the cows of Bashan, necessarily. Okay? Relax. I think in many ways, many of you are living in such a way that if Amos came here, he would commend you for your care of the poor and for what you've done personally to get involved with those who are less fortunate than you. So with those three disclaimers, I want to get into the text and we're going to do three things. Number one, I want to give you the background to help you understand why God was so angry with his own people, the kingdom of Israel. Number two, I want you to see what the actual problem was in Israel at this time. And then thirdly, I want to challenge us to continue and deepen our call to help those around us who have significant needs, to care for the downtrodden, the needy, the people in our society that are often marginalized, and to continue and deepen that good work that you are doing. So let's look at the background first. When we read the Old Testament, it's clear that God called Israel to be the people, uh, his people. It was a gracious choice. We, hear, we know in Deuteronomy, God says, I chose you, Israel, not because you were more numerous, not because you were strong, not because you were great. In fact, you actually were a very small people, but I poured my grace out on you so that I could make you my people. And God gave his people the Mosaic law to show them how to live and show them how to live out the reality as the people of God and to display the beauty and glory of God to the world, to the other nations around the world. That was Israel's call. That was Israel's purpose. And part of that Mosaic law and part of the instruction that God gave the people of God was how they should treat the marginalized, those who had significant needs, those uh, uh, who, who, who didn't have the kind of resources that others have. And I want you to look at this text, and Deuteronomy 24 is one of many texts. Deuteronomy 24, if you could turn there, that sort of give the heart of God in, in terms of caring For those who have less. Deuteronomy 24 verses 17 and 18. This is the instruction to the people of God. Israel. Gives a window into the heart of God. He says, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. And of course, there's a whole bunch of other commands surrounding this text about how to treat the poor, the needy. What God seems to be very concerned with is the sojourner. This is a person who is from outside of Israel, the foreigner who found themselves in, in Israel. Also, the fatherless, the widow. He's giving clear instructions. And why is he giving them these instructions? Why? Because he says, remember that you... Israel, were once a slave in Egypt, and I, the Lord God, redeemed you from there. 
And since I redeemed you from your slavery, since I poured out my grace and mercy upon you to make you my people, and I redeemed you from your horrific situation, I now command you to show love and grace and mercy in the same way I showed you mercy to those less fortunate, to those on the margins of society, and throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, widows, orphans, the poor, the, the oppressed, this is a, represents what is the heart of God. And many other passages, we won't turn there, but you could look at Psalm 116.5 later on this afternoon, talks about how God is a God of mercy, is a God of compassion. And so what you see here in Amos is that God had chosen his people, Israel, to be people, to be people who would, would reflect who God was to the world. The, the people of Israel bore his very name, and therefore he wanted them to, to act like he did, with mercy and compassion on those who were helpless and hopeless. So this is why God is so enraged with the people of God in Israel because they bore his name. They had been given instruction on how to care for the hopeless and helpless in the same way that God had cared for them when they were helpless and hopeless. In a very real sense, caring for the needy, caring for the poor, the fatherless, the widows, caring for the orphans, caring for those that are poor, caring for those foreigners who found themselves in Israel was, it was deeply reflective of who God is and his care for the poor. And the name of God was on the people of God and he wanted them to reflect who he was and who they were as his people. And this is why the Lord is enraged with his own people failing to live out the beauty of his own character and the beauty and the identity of the people of God, those who had been rescued from their helpless condition and been redeemed by God, how could they then turn and not show care and compassion to those less fortunate? That's the background. Let's look at the problem. Verse 1 of Amos 4, he Hear this word. Again, this is the second sort of sermon in, 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 in Amos. He's going to do it again in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 5 and 6. We'll see that next week. But hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring that we may drink. What was going on in Israel, the people of God at this time, is that the, the, the nation of Israel was ruled by a military bureaucracy. Jeroboam II was in charge. They were experiencing an economic boom, so to speak. Military victories were happening. And this military bureaucracy was, was getting wealthy and staying wealthy on the backs of the poor. And so you have the wealthy women of the wealthy power class in the people of God in Israel who are demanding their husbands, bring us that we may drink. They're saying, well, let us celebrate. Let us enjoy the bounty and the, the excesses of our lifestyle. And they were doing it all on the backs of the poor. It's a huge problem. And don't think for a moment it doesn't happen now. If you want to read a book that will take you off, 
You got to get the book Evicted. It came out a number of years ago. It's called Evicted by Matthew Desmond. It's a story of homelessness in the United States that's happening now, okay? It's not, it's not back in, you know, thousands of years ago. And how dealing with homeless people is a major, major money maker for many people in our country. It's sick. I got so mad, I threw the book across my living room. Matthew Desmond actually came, he, he now is a, a, a professor at Princeton. I actually I brought, brought a, I read the book and then he came to Princeton to give in. I went to, I actually asked him to sign my book. I told him it was the worst book I'd ever read because it ticked me off so much. He wrote to me, he said, Tracy, sorry I ticked you off. What happens? And it's happening, but it's happening among God's people. The very people who are supposed to, to express the beauty of this all-merciful, compassionate God who redeemed Israel out of its slavery and are supposed to reflect the character of God in how they treated the oppressed and the poor. And here, the leadership of this nation is systematically using their power and privilege to oppress the poor for their own financial benefit. Verse 2. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold the days are coming upon you when they will take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. God has seen enough. And the punishment will be severe. It's interesting, these word fish hooks, you know, the last of you will come out with fish hooks. It's interesting, there are some, some tablets that depict the Assyrians who would come into the northern kingdom, uh, clipping uh, the, 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 you know, the people they've oppressed and taking them away with hooks out of their noses and out of their jaw. So maybe a very literal rendition of what is going to happen to the northern kingdom in just a few decades. Then what, 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 what Amos does uh, is very sarcastic, okay? Verse 4, come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every, every uh, three, three days. Offer a th- sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leaven and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. Now, Bethel and Gilgal were major worship centers in the northern kingdom. And it is true that 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 worship was was a little bit off. There was syncretism going on. This started when when the northern kingdom separated from Judah. And so they set up their own worship centers rather than going to Judah in Jerusalem to worship. So there were problems with these worship centers, but that doesn't seem to be what, 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 what Amos and, and God are telling the people of Israel. He basically says, come, go to your, your, go to your worship services. Go to Bethel, go to Gilgal, and transgress. What do you mean? Go to the worship services and sin? What I think Amos and God are trying to communicate to Israel, you are God's people. You were redeemed by God from slavery. You're supposed to display the beauty of a compassionate God who cares for the downtrodden, and yet you are, you are exploiting them. 
So go to, go to, the, go to your temples. Go and worship and sin. And it, because what was happening is the people of Israel were going to these worship centers. They were going and, and giving sacrifices. They were bringing sacrifices. They were very religious, so to speak. But God is saying, when you go to those services and you claim to know me and you claim to sacrifice for me, I see it all as false and hypocritical because of the way you are treating your fellow people without compassion, without love, without care. Now he goes on and he gives a series of, of, of seven punishments that God had brought to uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, designed to, to bring some discipline to bring them back to care for the poor and the downtrodden so that their worship of God would not be so hypocritical and so noxious to God. In verse 6, he brought a famine earlier. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and mean, meaning your, your teeth were clean because they didn't have any food in them, and a lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Secondly, he brought a drought in verses 7 and 8. I also withheld the rain from you when you were yet three months to the harvest. This would have been a critical late rain right before the harvest that you would need to have a bumper crop. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain. The field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. This is exactly what God said in Deuteronomy. He said, if you, the people of God, Israel, would, would not worship me with, 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 with integrity, you wouldn't care for the poor, you violated any of the stipulations in my covenant with you, I would bring drought to try to get your attention to draw you back. In verse 9, there's uh, plant disease. I struck you with blight and mildew in many gardens in your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me. Not only was there disease among the plants, there was also an insect infestation of locusts that devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10, there's pestilence. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword. So there's warfare. I carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. In other words, enemies would overtake Israel. Seven different disciplinary actions God took to get Israel's attention, to, to show them what you are doing in treating the poor is so antithetical to my character and so antithetical to your identity as my people. And yet they would not repent. And then in verse 12, therefore thus I will do to you, Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God. And he finishes up with a hymn of God is the creator who is pictured as the Lord, the God of hosts, the armies of heaven. God can be like an army 
looking at his people and bringing down appropriate judgment after all that Israel uh, knew to do, all Israel should have been doing as the people of God to reflect the beauty and character of this merciful God. All of these disciplinary actions taken and Israel refuses to repent. And now they will meet their God and the punishment will be severe. And just a few decades after Amos pronounces this judgment, the Assyrians will come in and destroy Israel in the northern kingdom. And God will bring about fully his discipline and punishment on his people. What ought to catch our attention, I think, is that it's very possible, as Amos describes, but the other minor prophets also describe in the Major prophets also describe it is possible for us as God's people to come weekly to worship and sing all the songs and actually pray to God and and do the things we ought to do and yet have hearts that are far from God in the fact that we are not caring personally for those around us who have significant needs. We've shut our hearts from compassion. We've shut our hearts from doing what God would want us to do to reflect his character and to live out our identity as those who have been redeemed. We can actually fool ourselves into that level of hypocrisy. It happened for nation Israel. It can happen to us. So now what do we do about this? What's our responsibility? I don't think it would be a good application to give more money in the offering plate. I've already said that. I'm not advocating some political agenda here at all. I'm also not saying that some of you are not very involved with the poor, the oppressed. But I think we need to be challenged to do what we ought to do as people who bear the name of God, who represent God to the world, that we represent him as this compassionate, merciful God, and we do it in tangible ways and continue to do it and do it deep, more deeply. We need to look at two passages in the New Testament, three passages actually, but let me walk you through this. Turn to 1 John 3, 16 and 17. First John 3, 16 and 17 says this, by this we know we love. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for, our bro- for the brothers. But if someone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, for John, he understood that you can't claim to know the God of love and yet you yourself don't love those around you who have needs. It doesn't work. It's hypocrisy. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. See this? Galatians chapter 6.
verse 7. It says, do not be, Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. What Paul is challenging the Galatian believers is we will reap what we sow. And when we sow good to all people, especially the the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, but to the world at large, we are sowing good works that do what? Display who God is, this compassionate God, and displays also that we are people who bear his name and we are attempting by God's grace to consistently live out in tangible ways the very God who has redeemed us so graciously and so mercifully. So let me tell you a couple of stories to encourage you to do that and stories that encourage us because it's already happening here. I think sometimes when we talk about how do we help the poor, we, we, we tend to think too big in some sense. Oh, we got to solve it all. we got a new tax system, and it, it's massive. Most of you are not representatives in Washington, D.C. Your, your ability to do anything to affect that is limited. But what you can do is on a smaller scale, you can live out the beauty of our merciful God in ways that display the beauty and glory of God, and you help people who are in difficult situations. So there was a number of you who put together a lot of Christmas baskets, homemade cookies and cards, and you brought it to one of the assisted living centers that we're a part of, that we do a Bible study in. That Bible study actually, uh, we were in two places back to back over at Windrose and Sister Living Center and, and, and um, at the atrium. And, and there's like 20, 25 people together come to both of those Bible studies. Some of you prepared a whole bunch of gifts and cookies. I got a wonderful voicemail from one of the residents. I don't think they even attend our church at all. But here's what they said. Thank you much, Stonehill, for coming and giving us these homemade cookies and cards. I am so appreciative. I just wanted you all to know what it means to be shut in where I'm at. But also, you helped me realize I'm not shut out to you. You all came, your people, your staff, She even goes on to say, I don't even know what the club name is. I think it's Stonehill Club. (laughs) I just wanted to let you know, thank you for coming to following the path. Thank you that you came and took time out to visit me. I've just been in this facility. I find it very difficult and hard and lonely. But thank you, thank you, thank you. For showing the love of God. That's what Amos is driving at. Over the last uh, three weeks, we've had three people pass away. And 
two of those individuals ended up in the hospital for, for a bit. And in one case, so many people came to visit the one person who was dying. So many people came to visit that one of the workers at the hospital said to one of the other guests that were going to see, going to this room as they had to check in and said, there's a lot of people coming to visit this person. Are you all from the same church? I said, yes. The person who was saying, yes, we're, we're all from Stonehill Church. And, and says, well, I just moved here from Texas. I think I'm going to come to your church because I've never seen this many people come to visit one person. That's caring for the marginalized. In another case, another uh, woman in our church passed away, and, and again, we were caring for people in the hospital, and many of the family and friends who came to the funeral said to me after the funeral, I am amazed at how many people cared for my friend or my family member who passed away. I can't believe it. One person told me, I can't believe you provided rides for 20 years so that this person that we dearly love could come to your church. In one case, one of the individuals, one of the family members, has said, I, I am really open to trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior because I saw what your church did for my relative. That's what it looks like. It's not some macro thing, and again, if you, you, know, you end up being a member of Congress, you should fix a few things. If you want to call me, I've got a list. But it's what do you do for the marginalized, the oppressed, the people who are in the hospital, the people who are in an assisted living center, the people who are, are economically deprived. What are you going to do with the resources God has given you? to show and demonstrate the mercy of God. To show the world that you bear the name of God because he redeemed you. And you demonstrate that in a powerful way, in a tangible way. It's a demonstration in a physical, tangible way of the gospel. That's what Amos, I think, is asking us to do, certainly by application. I don't have time to turn here because this is so sobering. I don't even want to mention it, but I want you to read 1 Corinthians 3 this afternoon. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. I know some of you are turning there, but you do it this afternoon. It's a picture of what I believe is going to happen for every believer at the end of time is that we're going to be before the Lord, not to determine if we get to heaven. That's already been decided in our trust in Christ. But it appears that our lives are going to be evaluated in some sense. And that our faithfulness to God will be rewarded. But the things we did that were not faithful, and the things we did with wrong motivations, and the things we did in sort of our hypocrisy, it looks like those things will be burned up and not rewarded. 
This is not a judgment to see if you're going to get into heaven. That's been taken care of by Jesus. But it's an evaluation by Jesus himself who will look at us and look at our lives and review it. And for the things we did for him, there will be great reward, but there will also be, in some sense, loss of reward. I think about that when Amos says to the northern kingdom of Israel, prepare to meet your God. Now, that's, that's an ominous judgment. This, I, I don't think this is exactly what would happen to us if we neglected the poor and the marginalized. But I do think there will come a time when you will be before the Lord and your life will be examined. And one of the things that will be examined is, I gave you all of these resources. I gave you time. I gave you skills. I gave you financial resources in some cases. What did you do with those resources to demonstrate who I was to the world? Compassionate, merciful, gracious. How did you, as someone who was redeemed by grace, an undeserving, poor and hopeless, I sent you and poured out my, my love and my son for you, what did you do in return in, in sort of pouring out your life, your time, your energy, your skills, your financial resources, to demonstrate the beauty of what I have already done for you and to demonstrate the beauty of my character to a watching world. And that is sobering and ought to be sobering. So I want to conclude uh, by praying for us and I'm also going to be praying for a particular ministry that is living out, I think, what Amos would want us to do, and that is the Mind the Gap program. The Mind the Gap program is a program designed to help students, high school students, prepare for life after high school, particularly for students who are underserved in Princeton. Jim Newman, right here. You can wave, Jim. Yeah, that's beautiful. Just like Queen Elizabeth. Anyway. Um, uh, it's designed to help students who are underserved, who don't have the resources, whose families don't have the resources to prepare for life after high school. We've got people in our church who are willing to be mentors, willing to do some homework help, willing to teach some classes. I think we're starting a couple of classes in just a week. But these students need to sign up, and their lives are often chaotic. And I know how you sign up for things. Not so good. But I want to pray that we will have a group of students, a core group of students that will be part of that. And it's a way for us to demonstrate the beauty and glory of a compassionate God who cares for people who have real needs. And it is our privilege to demonstrate to the world the beauty of that God and to demonstrate that we who bear his name are, are living out the grace that we have been given so graciously by God himself. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for so many in this church who do give of their time and their skills and their resources to help those who are hurting in this community and in our church. I pray for each one of us, though. I pray that we would guide us to people who have needs. You would guide us to people who need to be helped in all kinds of different ways and show each of us the, the part of, of, of this ministry of compassion and mercy that is, is so central to who you are, Lord, and so central to how you brought us to faith in Jesus Christ and so central to, to how we should live as those who bear your name.
Give us all a sense of who you are calling us to pour out our time, energy, mentoring, skills, and even financially to those who are suffering, who are marginalized, who are often neglected by this culture. I pray in particular, Lord, for the Mind the Gap program, Lord. We're ready to go in about a week. And I pray that you would raise up a group of students who do have these needs. They need the kind of training and mentoring we want to provide them, Lord. I pray that a core group of those students would sign up. I pray for Jim and the others who are working with them, that you would give them wisdom and guidance and allow them, as they care for these students, as they meet needs, they would demonstrate the beauty of a God of compassion. Be able to demonstrate the beauty of the name that we bear as your children. We pray this in your name. Amen.